It's hard to know where to start. How do you boil down three months into 35 minutes? Especially three months that were different from any other three months in your life so far. I brought home over 3,000 pictures on my phone. That's just my phone, not Heather's phone, just my phone. We picked 300 of them to show after the service today. So if you hang around afterwards and look up at the screen, we have 300 of them. It takes about 15 minutes to look at them all. That's just a fraction of what we experienced. We drove over 3,000 miles across three countries on the island of Great Britain, England, Scotland, and Wales. We did it in this little car right here that we borrowed from Ichthus Motor Mission in South London. These wonderful Christians loan cars to missionaries on home assignment and ministers on sabbatical who will be in the United Kingdom for at least a month. This was a little Renault Modus, okay? It was an automatic transmission, praise the Lord. <laughs> Most cars in the UK are stick shift, but this was automatic. But you could also switch it to manual if you wanted, which we found out while we were driving. <laughs> it's left-hand stick, right? So you're, you drive on the right side of the car, steering wheel over here. I got to borrow Teresa's mail vehicle, by the way, before we left to practice driving on the other side of the car. Okay, so you drive on the right side of the car, but on the left side of the road. So we flew into Heathrow on April 27th, overnight into April 28th, and we got a ride from there to south side of London to load up this little car, which I nicknamed We Miss Myrtle. Okay, so this is We Miss Myrtle. And then the first time I ever drove in England was through the city of London, 75 miles north to the town of Cambridge, where the university is, in the evening. That was exciting. Heather's hair totally turned gray. <laughs> I lost the rest of mine, right? It took about a month to learn how to drive over there. Everything was kind of the same, but also different. Whenever I found myself getting comfortable, I said this to Peter, like on my first phone call, whenever I started to feel comfortable, I knew that was when I was doing it wrong, right? Because you pass on the right. The slow lane in the we call it the highway, they call it the motorway. The slow lane is on the left, right? You enter the, the motorway on the, on the left, and then, so anytime I was like, oh, I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable. Oh, wait, I must be doing it wrong. It's scary at first to do a right-hand turn. You know, it's like our left-hand turns. You're in the right lane, you want to go left. But you're, over here, you're in the left lane, and you want to go right, and you have to look right, because that's where the cars are coming from. And then you have to look left, because there might be another one coming here. And I kept thinking, Somebody's going to come up behind me and hit. I was wincing every time I did a right-hand turn. Heather's still wincing. <laughs> Often the roads are really narrow, so you have to take turns. Okay, Not in the big city like London, but in just about everywhere else, you're running down this feels like one-track lane with no shoulders, often big hedgerows on either side, but it's not just one way. There's cars coming the other direction. So if you encounter a car or a bus coming from the other direction, one of you has to back up to where it's wide enough to pass. And if you think that driving on the wrong side of the car is hard going forward, try going in reverse. Or parallel parking when you aren't sure where your left corners actually are. But, and thank you for praying for me, I had no accidents, right? Woo! And I also had no traffic violations either. 
that they caught. <laughs> there are traffic cameras everywhere, and I kept making mistakes. Like, they take speed limits very seriously. They, those are not suggestions to shoot for. They are limits. And I kept worrying that we were piling up traffic tickets that the folks at Ichthus would eventually share with me that I owed. We were afraid on the last day when we turned the car in that there might be thousands of dollars worth of traffic violations that I had to, I got caught on camera and I needed to pay the people that we were borrowing the car from. One time I ran a red light in front of a royal palace in Scotland. But the Lord both protected us and shielded us so that we had no tickets at the end of three months driving. However, confidence and safety in driving was not the biggest gift that the Lord gave me during our time away. The biggest gift was a gentle restoration of my soul. I got some real rest. I experienced some honest-to-goodness Shabbat and Shalom, deep rest and real peace. This week when I was trying to summarize the whole experience for this Sunday morning testimony, I kept coming back to this phrase in Psalm 23 when David likens himself to a well-fed and contented sheep, a fat and happy sheep, basking in his good shepherd's care. He restores my soul. And I told that to Heather. I keep thinking of this phrase, he restores my soul. And she says, you realize, don't you, that I prayed those very words for you just about every night at bedtime for our, our entire sabbatical? Father, please restore Matthew's soul. Oh, right, right. And many of you were also praying that for me. And the Lord answered your prayers. He restored my soul. The image of a sheep is very appropriate for life in the UK because there are sheep everywhere. It seemed to me that just about anywhere you are in the UK, there are sheep within no more than 25 miles from you. And that's if you're in a town. If you're outside the town, it seems like there's sheep within two miles of you or two minutes from you in whatever direction. They're just everywhere. And Heather loves sheep, as we all know, and Heather loves their wool. So he, she was just about in heaven. Everywhere we went, Heather was picking up wool that had got caught on a fence or had been shed in a field. And she actually got to go to some of her favorite places for wool and knitting in the world on the Shetland Islands, 12 hours ferry ride across the North Sea, a dream come true. And we got to go to woolen mills in West Wales as well. There were sheep everywhere, like this Scottish sheep in the Pentland Hills outside of Edinburgh. I don't know her name. Maybe it was Miss Myrtle as well. I don't know. But she was fine with my taking her picture. She was happy to, for that. When we went to sleep in the little blacksmith cottage that we were in in West Wales, we could hear the sheep moving around at night and ba ba bleating all night long. In Psalm 23, King David likens himself to a sheep, which is not very flattering. Sheep are not too bright, and they are very needy. They are big bundles of need. But that allowed David to highlight what a good shepherd his Lord is. Yahweh is his shepherd, and Yahweh is perfect at shepherding. Ultimately, David says he has no unmet needs. David knows he is well cared for. Green, peaceful pastures, quiet, nourishing waters. The Lord restores David's soul. And he offers that to you and me. That was a big part of what God was doing in me the last three months. That's my testimony. Slowing me down, refreshing my heart, and restoring my soul. And he did it through lots of different ways, through lots of different things. But today I want to highlight just three. Number one, God restored my soul through his creation. God's creation. Great Britain is 
so beautiful. There's just so much natural beauty everywhere you go. And because I was released by you from work and released from all responsibility, I was able to slow down and soak all that beauty in. Just like how I like to walk here in God's beautiful creation in Pennsylvania, I walked miles and miles and miles across across God's creation over there. The last few weeks, I was averaging about 10 miles a day, sometimes 13 or 14, over really rough terrain, often at a steep incline, both uphill and down. Heather and I often hiked together. I would go somewhere before breakfast, and then we would go together after that. And we had beautiful weather. Thank you for praying. We expected rain. Like you, you think of England and you think of rain, but we hardly got any. And when we did, it was really refreshing and pleasant. Great Britain is a big island, so we saw lots of ocean. You're really never that far from the sea. One day we saw both the sea on the east of the nation and on the west of the nation in Scotland because we just drove from one side to the other. It just only took a few hours. And it was worth it for these... Um, you never real, you, we, are, we were often at a beach or up on a cliff overlooking the sea. This area is called Aetianus on Shetland. And you really, the pictures don't capture it. But um, I'm not a big one for cliffs or for heights. In Wales, they had these signs of the cliffs that said, cliffs kill. And I'm like, yes, that's right. <laughs> that's how I feel when I, when I see a cliff. But over time, I got used to it because it was worth it to see those vistas. The water, this is in West Wales, is so beautiful. The beaches there have almost no people in them because it's hard to get to them. Those one-track lanes are like the way to get there. You have to take turns. And and they're some of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Waves, clouds, you can see out to sea for miles, and the beauty is just so stark. We saw a lot of beaches in the south, in England, in Devon as well. These are pictures I took in, it just doesn't ca- capture it, but you'll, you'll trust me for that. Inland, there are lakes. There's a whole district called the Lake District. That's where Beatrix Potter's house is, you know, the one who wrote Peter Rabbit. We got to tour her house and then hike around in this beautiful place full of lakes up by that. And mountains and open spaces. There is a volcanic mountain inside the city of Edinburgh. It's called Arthur's Seat, and every day people make the trek up to it. This does not show you just how tall it is, but it is really tall. And Heather walked all the way to the the tippy top. This, I think, is a picture of Heather right here. (laughs) I chickened out on that one. And there are these things called the moors. Uh, These are big rocky tracks of open land that is uncultivated and hilly and boggy and rocky. And there are these giant rocks on top of hills in the moors called tors, okay? And we climbed all over them. There were farms. There's a tor. There was farmland everywhere. I got to walk alongside all kinds of farmland. They have these stone fences and big hedgerows, hedgerows that are eight feet high, and you're allowed to walk just about everywhere. They have what they call permissive paths, Here's a stone wall. Um, permissive paths, which are footpaths, over just about every parcel of ground. Like, everybody gives you permission to walk across their field. Stay on the path, treat it the way you, you know, treat it respectfully, but you could walk just about anywhere if you have the time. In the south, there's an entire 
coast that has a footpath that you can walk at, walk at times hundreds of feet above sea level, and nothing but beauty in every direction. It was so beautiful. We saw, it was mountain, and one time we were on the coastal path, and there were hang gliders over the cliff that were beneath us, right? We're 500 feet above sea level, here's one. I'm taking the picture, the hang gliders are down below me, right? But that's because of how high up I am. And that, that was just a beautiful day. Sun, mountain, moor, ocean, field, sheep, hiking, and hang gliding all at once. And there were animals everywhere. Not just the sheep, but horses and cows and snails and slugs. I took pictures of all these, by the way. I got like 50 slugs on my camera roll. I saw a hedgehog, I saw a fox, I saw a deer, and birds singing too. John, you would love it. You would love it. Birds. Uh, lots of bird songs we've never heard before. I did not know this. Heather knows everything. I know nothing. We have birds, like we have robins and they have robins, but they're different. They even sound different and they look different, right? Like there's American robins and there's English robins, okay? And we heard bird songs we never heard before. We heard a cuckoo, you know, like the clock. There's an actual bird that makes that sound and we heard it with our own ears. And there were trees, I saw some big, beautiful green trees that reminded me of Tolkien's Ents. Have you ever read The Lord of the Rings and you hear, see the Ents? There's these gigantic trees and you can just imagine them talking to you. It's probably where Tolkien got the idea. And we actually saw trees that J.R.R. Tolkien had seen for himself. Giant ones in Oxford and on this trail called Addison's Walk, where he and C.S. Lewis liked to walk and talk together. And flowers and gardens. Heather loves gardens right? And she says that Great Britain is like one giant island garden. It's been so cultivated. There are roses everywhere. It's like they grow out of every, um, like out of every corner like a weed. And we got to go to some beautiful open gardens that you can visit. David Austin's Roses, Three Gardens, the Royal Botanical Garden in Edinburgh. The Royal Botanical Garden in Edinburgh has a hedge. It's made out of beech trees. It's 158 interlocking trees that is 26 feet high and 550 feet long. It's like 200 years old, right? Amazing. And we got to go Oxford's Botanical Garden, which is the oldest in the UK. It was founded in 1621. Also a favorite place for Tolkien to go. And Hidcote and Keefsgate. We walked through a lot of gardens. And it was good for my soul. These are just a few of my pictures. You can see more after church. But, of course, these pictures don't really capture the half of it. We saw lots of other beautiful things that were man-made. We toured castles and palaces and super ancient churches and neat old houses of some of our favorite British authors. But it was just, for me, just so good for my soul to walk and observe the beauty of God's creation mile after mile after mile. No responsibilities except just to look at what God has made. Green pastures quiet waters and not so quiet waters when the waves came crashing on the shore and the Lord restored my soul it made me think of Psalm 65 another song of King David where he says O God our Savior the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas who formed the mountains by your power having armed yourself with strength who stilled the roaring of the seas the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations those living far away fear your wonders. 
where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. This summer, the Lord restored my soul through extended time in His creation. The second way that He restored my soul on this sabbatical was through His people, God's people. We got to worship in eight different churches while we were away. Sometimes we were in the same church for more than one Sunday. And each church was such an encouragement to our souls. It's so good to be a part of God's family, like that reading we did this morning in Article 7 of the EFCA Statement of Faith, and know that it is a global family. It's not just us here in Pennsylvania or just us here in America, but it's us all over God's green earth. Let me tell you a little bit about the churches we visited. The second day we were in the UK, we drove up to Scotland, and we stayed on the campus of the Faith Mission Bible College. It was a really interesting school with classrooms and apartments and a big meeting hall and a bookstore and a library. They let me use their library while we were there. That was our home base for a whole month. By the way, I went into their bookstore and what was one of the first books I saw? God is Still Good by Katie Thompson Ferris. Wasn't that neat? I'm in Scotland and there's Katie's book on the shelf. I sent, a, sent her a picture of it. While we were in Scotland, we worshiped with two different churches. The, the first was St. Columba's Church, which is a part of the Free Church of Scotland. Now, that sounds like the Free Church of America, and it has some similarities, but it's also pretty different. It is Protestant, like we are, and it's not the established church of Scotland, so it's free in that sense, free of state control, just like ours is free. But it is Presbyterian in church polity and very liturgical. Lots of readings, lots of structure to the service. I don't think I knew half of the songs that they were singing. And they used real wine for communion. This church has a building right on the Royal Mile, which is one of the oldest streets in the city of Edinburgh. If you see Edinburgh on the television, which we don't that often, but this is the street that they normally show you. On one end of it is Edinburgh Castle. And at the other end of it is Holyrood Palace, okay? That's the one I ran the red light at. And in the middle is this church trying to be faithful to Jesus. The building was built in 1846. One of the things that was really neat about that church was how they prayed. They were serious about their prayer. And they prayed for other nations. They prayed for Syria and Ukraine and the United States. I think that was the first time I've ever been in a service where people from another country prayed earnestly for my country. One of the things they're concerned about is our epidemic of gun violence and mass shootings. So they prayed for us that our nation would be healed and people protected. And they prayed for their nation as they had just the day before crowned their new king. We were in Scotland during the coronation and watched it on television. 
interesting story. We, we got to see the crown jewels in both Scotland and England while we were there on our tours. This is the building where they keep the crown jewels in Scotland. But one of the crown jewels was missing. The stone of Schoon was not there the day we were there. It's always there. It's been there for 70 years. But King Charles was using it down in England to get corrugated, uh, crowned. Uh, so we didn't get to see it. By the time we looked at the crown jewels in England, it had already moved back to Scotland. So, Funny story. The second church we visited was incredibly different. It was called Grace Mount Community Church, and it did not have a building at all. It was a baby church, just six years old, and being planted in a tough neighborhood. Grace Mount Community is what they call a scheme or an estate, what we might call the projects. And these folks are determined to build a healthy, gospel-centered church in the middle of that urban community, and they're doing it. This church was vibrant and exciting and young. There were kids everywhere. I think this was a dedication Sunday where they were dedicating some of their kids. And there were tattoos everywhere. Every guy had one. Most of the ladies did too. I thought about getting one just to fit in. <laughs> and they were actually meeting in the activity hall of the Bible college that we were staying in. So it was really convenient for us to just walk down to it. They sang songs that we did know, and they also write their own songs. Songs that, that say, we love Jesus in our particular social context setting. The pastor of that church is a guy named Andy Prime, who is the grandson of Derek Prime, who was one of the mentors of Alistair Begg. Some of you may know that name from Truth For Life radio. So his mentor's grandson is the pastor of this church plant. The first Sunday we were there, Pastor Andy, who's probably in his early 30s, maybe late 20s, was dressed really casually, like long sleeve t-shirt, running pants, and then he got up and he preached. Second Chronicles 17 through 28. Twelve chapters of Old Testament history in one message, and it was so, so good. I thought we were doing something when we did four chapters of Jeremiah here this spring. It was so encouraging and so nourishing for our souls. The thing I'll remember the most about that church, however, was their hospitality. The first Sunday we were there, they were having a fellowship meal. And they have it in the same room that they're meeting in. They just have one room. So everybody comes in, they bring their crock pot, they put it right next to on the table, and then they start singing. It's time for church. So there's food everywhere, and it just smells great, and we're there for church. And I think we were invited to lunch by at least five different people, and none of them knew us. It wasn't like, oh, the visiting pastor from, a, from the U.S., you know. Nope, it was just, we're so glad you're here. Can you stay for lunch? Of course, we didn't know what it was we were eating because it was homemade Scottish food. There was stuff I was putting out of a crock pot onto my plate, and I'm like, I don't even know what the ingredients are, right? But it was good, too. The second week we were there, one of the older couples in that church, there's only a few older couples, almost everybody's young, invited us over to their house for lunch after church with another family from church, completely spontaneously. They didn't know we were coming. They, we hadn't even met them or just met them really briefly the week before, and they brought us home like a couple of strays. When I think about how hospitable and encouraging God's people were to us in the United Kingdom, my mind goes to Philemon, verse 7. 
The Apostle Paul was writing Philemon to encourage him to forgive and release his runaway slave who had become his brother in Christ. And Paul has heard about how generous and hospitable and kind and loving that Philemon was to the other Christians there in Colossae. And so he says this in his letter, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Refresh the hearts of the saints. That's how it felt to be with those Christians in Scotland. Our hearts were refreshed. The next church we visited was the first one I preached in. This was Barton Evangelical Church in the village of Barton-upon-Humber down in England. Humber is this river here you see in the picture. And that's the big city of Hull. You might have heard of Hull. It's a big city in England. It's on the north side of the river. And Barton is on the south side of the river, and they're joined by this one bridge. So they use the bridge in this church as kind of their symbol for their church. Barton Evangelical Church is, in a lot of ways, a lot like our church. It is autonomous, but a part of a family of churches called the FIEC, the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. So it's kind of like the EFCA. And they're pastored by Jeff Higgins, who is Irish, but now serving in England. Jeff and I had become friends online last year, and when he found out we were coming to England, he invited us to visit and to preach. So I got to preach a version of the sermon on Psalm 60 that I had preached here during COVID. The Higgins have four children, a girl and three boys. Sound familiar? Their kids, though, are very young, and ours are, of course, all grown now. But we could compare some notes. That church was also very hospitable. A family from the church had us over for lunch and another family at the same time. And we all had lunch and then we went out for a walk around the countryside together as a big group. We walked down some of those hedgerows and into an old church that was open for the day. And Pastor Jeff just checked on me yesterday and told me that he was praying for this message. And he sends you his greetings. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. The Lord uses His people to refresh His people. The next church we visited was in West Wales on the far side of the island. It was a Baptist church called Mount Zion in the city of Cardigan, where we get our word cardigan, the sweater, from. And they were very friendly as well. One thing that was interesting there, and this was true of a lot of these churches was they had teas and coffees after church you know how we have coffee ministry they have teas and coffees and but they had it in the auditorium where you just had worship and it was served ready for this by the youth group okay so after church you just sat down right where you were and had a little moment of silence and then you waited for a young person to come by with a tray and ask did you want tea or coffee and do you want any milk in that And you just sat there in fellowship with the people, with your neighbors right around you, and then got up and visited around the room. Isn't that interesting? By the way, I didn't do any strategizing while I was away. This was not a time for me to do vision and come up with big ideas to change our church. This was a time to stop thinking about how we do church and just rest. So there's no big announcements to come with our return. In case any of you are worried, what's he going to come back and say is next? Nothing, right? I'm just coming back to listen and find out what God has been up to here in the last 90 days and then join him where he's working, like we learned in experiencing God. 
The next church we visited was the second and last church that I preached in. It was called Cornerstone Church in Abergavenny in South Wales. It's pastored by my online friend Jonathan Thomas, and it was really neat to verify that he exists in the real world and not just on Twitter or what was formerly called Twitter. I actually poked him to be sure that he was real. Jonathan has just recently published his first book called Intentional Interruptions, and I was privileged to be an early reader and give my endorsement to it. It's a really good book about how to say no to distractions, but yes to God's interruptions. And it was very encouraging for me to read as we got close to my sabbatical, which was also a very intentional interruption. I got to preach Psalm 60 once again to that wonderful Welsh church. Cornerstone does not yet have a building also. They meet in a public school, and they're a vibrant bunch who love God's Word. They just soaked up everything I said and were very encouraging about it afterwards. Talk about hospitable. Two different couples in that church were incredibly helpful to us in finding housing in West Wales and in Devon. We really could not have stayed over there so long if it wasn't for their incredible generosity. In late June and early July, we settled down to a little seaside town called Sidmouth in Devon in the south of England and the west of England. I won't give you all the stops in between, and I know I've lost you already. Where was he? What was it going? It was a long three months of travel. Heather did an amazing job of planning it all. But in Sidmouth, we went to two different churches. One was Anglican, the Church of England. That's the established church, the one that is tied to the government. And the other was another independent FIEC church. But they were both evangelical. They were both holding forth the gospel. The Anglican church was called All Saints Church, and their stone building was built in 1837, which is kind of a newer church by some of those old church standards in Great Britain. But their worship there was lively with a worship band and guitar and drums and everything. So it's this ancient future kind of thing going on. Their vicar was out of the pulpit the Sunday we were there, and a lay reader gave the message that day, like one of our elders preaching here. The other church we went to was called Emmanuel Baptist Church, and it was pastored by an Albanian man who had married an English girl, and after they planted a church in Albania, they were called to serve churches in England. In England, His name was Bezmir, and his wife's name was Miriam Gloria. They have only been there for a year and a half, and they have their work cut out for them. Their three kids are the only kids in the whole church. Like like if just just the three Crumrine boys were the only kids in the whole church. Okay. Now they have their own building. It's a lot like ours, but that it's brick built about the same time as ours, and some wonderful older saints who I love having teas and coffees with after church, but they have no young families at all. And it made me feel so grateful for all of the young families we have here and who are tr- we're trying to come alongside with our family ministries. I met with Pastor Bez several times for encouragement and prayer and a full English breakfast with black pudding and all. I think I got to refresh Bez some too. It turns out we have a mutual friend who is an EFCA pastor over here in the States, We'll be staying in touch. They were very encouraged last Sunday as they had two baptisms to celebrate, perhaps in a long time. After bouncing around Scotland, Wales, and England for 12 weeks, we pulled back into London, dropped off We Miss Myrtle the car, 
at Ichthus Motor Mission and then spent one last week in the big city. That was when we saw Buckingham Palace and Trafalgar Square and the Victorian Albert Museum and the Tower of London, Tower Bridge, London Bridge, and Kew Gardens, which Heather says was the best of all the gardens she's ever been to in her life, and of course, Big Ben. Last Sunday, I got to worship at All Souls Church. It's hard to believe that a week ago, I was over there. Actually, I'd been to church already. It's five hours ahead. But by this time, I was in All Souls Church, which is in London. This is also in the Church of England and also evangelical. This is the church that was pastored by John Stott. Do you know that name? Some of you know, have read some of his. I probably read a dozen books by John Stott over the years. So thankful for him. Another one of their current leaders is Christopher J.H. Wright, who you might recognize that name because he wrote the best commentary I've ever read on the book of Jeremiah. So I quoted to him to you many, many times over the last year. And we might have been in the same room last Sunday. I don't know. But I do know that I was with God's people. The, that church is very diverse. A lot of the churches we visited were ethnically diverse, which was really cool. I love worshiping with those who look and sound differently than I do. It's a foretaste of heaven when every tribe, people, language, and nation worship Jesus together. That's a big church. They have two services on Sunday. There's, you know, several hundred people are there, and they still have trouble with the PowerPoint. <laughs> I loved it that the, the slides didn't match up with the singing at All Souls Church in downtown London. I want to tell you about one more church the Lord used to restore my soul and refresh my heart these last three months. You might have heard of it. It's called Lance Evangelical Free Church. The Lord uses His people to refresh His people. You have done so with me and with Heather. You did it by letting us go. Thank you. You did it by praying for us. You did it by doing everything while we were gone. I didn't get even one email asking for this or that. I didn't know if Missy lost my email. It was awesome. You took care of everything, and you did it very well. I hear you had a great family Bible week and a terrific missions offering. And there was a dunk tank, and I didn't get dunked. I hear the missions ministry team has a bunch of things lining up for the fall. You've got a plan going for the Good News Cruise. There's a new community group in town. Talk about hospitality. The Skasels are opening up their home every Sunday night. Kids' Bible classes every Sunday morning. And the elders basically doing all the preaching. Was it one outside person in all that time? The four elders did all the teaching? I'm looking forward to listening to the recordings of Joel, Abe, Keith, and Cody over the next few weeks. We'll find out if I'm still needed around here. In Great Britain, they have a saying that's like our good job. It's a thumbs up. But they say, well done, you. Well done, you. Well done. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brothers and sisters in Christ at Lance Free Church, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Well done, you. I could say more today about how God has restored my soul, other things he used, reading books, sightseeing historical spots, shopping for souvenirs, following in the footsteps of our favorite detective writers. 
But I'm not going to bore you with all, the, all of that today. I'll try not to bore you with that all the time. I don't want to be that guy who always talks about the trip he took to the UK and every single sermon that he preaches. Though I do now have some new material, some new stories to share while I am preaching. Wait do I tell you about a guy I met named Ivor. But I want to encourage you that the Lord restores our soul. You know, King David did not get a sabbatical. And yet he was refreshed. He was refreshed even, he says, in the presence of his enemies. You don't have to go somewhere else to get refreshed. I know that. I got to go somewhere else. Thank you for that. It was really helpful to me in God's providence. But God's creation is right outside of those doors. And God's people are right here inside of these doors. And the Lord uses those things to refresh our hearts. Because it's the Lord that does the restoring. Did you notice that in Psalm 23? Who restores my soul? He restores my soul. I don't do it for myself. I can't do it for myself. I can't be like, soul, restore. Okay, refresh, restore. I can stop. I can try to rest. I can slow down. But he's got to do the work. He restores my soul. So the third and last thing that God used to restore my soul in these last three months is himself, God's son. When I cease my striving and put my faith in him, I experience true and lasting rest. Rest that is, finally, salvation. Salvation is all of grace. It is not by works. It is all a gift. He restores my soul, my eternal soul. The he there is our good shepherd. And we know that his name is not just Yahweh. His name is Jesus. It's Jesus who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not come to Christianity. Not come to church. Not come to cleaning up your life first. But come to Jesus Christ. Become his disciples. Put your faith in who he is and what he has done on the cross and at the empty tomb. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He restores my soul. Not just in a temporary way. A rest that comes and then goes. I'm sure my sabbatical will eventually wear off, but eternally. A rest and peace that begins now and goes on forever and ever and ever. If you have never come to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and Good Shepherd and place of rest, I invite you to do so now. Come to Jesus and find rest for your very soul. That's my testimony. And I praise God for it.